0: Good afternoon. Thank you once again for joining me. Julian Campbell here, and we've got another interesting show lined up for you this week. A bit later in the program, we'll have a couple of our Harvard Business Review tips, a couple of them dealing with uh, coping with difficult negotiation. Uh, We're also talking with Christina of our Minute on Innovation, looking at the Hunter Innovation Festival. But right now, we're going to have a chat with Andrew Constantine from Context Solutions. We're going to talk about dealing with cyber threats Good afternoon, Andrew.
1: Hey, Julian, how are you?
0: I'm very well, and yourself? Very it, well, thank you. Is it cold down there in Sydney? It's cold up here. Mate,
1: it's a beautiful day today, mate. I'm pretty upset that I'm not at the beach.
0: <laughs> I don't think I'd want to be at the beach today. Okay, so dealing with cyber threats, let's start off with what is a cyber threat?
1: Sure. Um, well, plain and simple, a cyber threat is basically an attempt to damage access, steal, steal, or just cause general disruption on a computer network infrastructure, people, or an application. So, um, got yeah. So many people don't actually understand the proper cyber attacks and the landscape used in our world today. So,
0: so how can we educate our users about these cyber threats then?
1: Great question. Um, the simplest form of education, I would say, is for senior level executives just to sit down with their people and tell them exactly what's happening. Um, A great thing would be for CIOs or CTOs um, just to get everyone into a room and say, guys, these are the threats that are out there. Be vigilant. Um, That's the most easiest form and it's highly scalable for any type of business.
0: So even a small business, people can, uh, well, I suppose we can look at the Internet and find some of the threats that are out at the moment. Exactly right. That's
1: exactly right, yep.
0: So so how is security measured? How, how, do, how does a data breach occur?
1: <laughs> exactly. Cool. So basically, it's not measured with a ruler and a pen. Um, there are many ways that a data breach actually occurs. It's if someone basically steals any credentials, um, that being passwords or data or proprietary software information, um, that obviously the company developed and then obviously gets stolen or attacked, I guess, from another vendor or that's sitting out on the internet.
0: So so what are the ways that people do get into that data? Is it uh, um, as a result of knowing your passwords or is it a a bots on your computer? What what is it, a mixture of all those?
1: Great question. Um, Basically, it's weak passwords. So it's always a good policy and good measure to have passwords that obviously more than 12 characters um, and doesn't include your name, your date of birth or anything that can easily be guessed. Um, and usually have special characters, such as, you know, your symbols and your dollar signs and question marks inside the,
0: um, inside the password. So you're saying they're 12 characters off, most places ask you for 8, don't they? Most of
1: them ask you for 8, best practice would be 12.
0: Okay, yeah. yeah. And, and is there other ways that people can hack in other than just knowing your passwords or breaking your passwords? Absolutely
1: easiest way to get into a, in, into a company is through the weakest link in the chain, and that's the people. Now, most people aren't vigilant, and if you give someone a USB device or send them an email or something, they'll click on the, uh, they'll click on the attachment or they'll plug in the USB device, and that uh, compromises their system. We can use their system then to use that as a pivot point um, and then go next to another system within the business.
0: So, so do you find a lot of people actually do clip? click on these emails that come through. Absolutely. They don't know who they're from, but they still click on the information. That's
1: right. That's exactly right, Julian. Um, I think it's close to 92% of all vulnerabilities found is all from speed fishing attempts, which is sending emails uh, with malicious content or you know, a PDF document that someone's going to say, yes, it looks legitimate, which it isn't. They open it and um, it unleashes some sort of code in the background. The team or the users don't even know it's happening
0: so so, so so, why are different benchmarks uh, – what, sorry, what are different benchmarks with information security management?
1: Great question. Um, so different benchmarks in information security. So if many businesses are actually holding credit card information, they need to comply with the laws and regulations either in Australian or international governance requirements. So in Australia, you'll need to comply with the, the, um, the PCI DSS. So each year, a businessman needs to become compliant holding credit card information. So that's to certify them to say, look, we're holding credit card information on our on-site or in the database that we access regularly. Then it's going through ongoing tests to improve or to show that they take the security component um, serious.
0: So in the case of some of our smaller businesses, they probably use uh, PayPal or a bank. They're not really holding that information, although the PayPal would be holding that information.
1: Exactly right. For smaller businesses that maybe use a vendor, um, it's best to go to the vendors and ask them for a compliance audit. Um, the vendor will then come back to you and say, look, to sign a non-disclosure, which will indicate that most vendors are complying with the industry standards. Mm. Um, it's just a formal documentation. Uh, yes, we've been tested and complying with the laws and regulations.
0: Uh, but we, we still hear on the news, even some of these really big businesses, well-known businesses, get their uh, client information hacked too, don't they?
1: Exactly right. That's right. I mean, LinkedIn was a big example um, and, obviously, the biggest companies in the world are always constantly getting hacked. I mean, Google, LinkedIn, Facebook, you just can't stop it. It's just hacktivism. It's, you know, it, it's a global it's a global phenomenon, really.
0: Hey, have you ever have, had a look at uh, why those particular ones are getting hacked? Is it as a result of um, misinformation or, 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 or their employees not playing enough attention? Um, that's actually a good
1: question. It makes me think, I think it's just that, I think it's, these guys actually attack because they can. Um, they're very clever guys, and they just use their skills just to make fun of people, I guess, and to show them how easy it is to actually compromise the system when businesses are employing you know hundreds of people to actually monitor and manage their security systems, and they can still bypass it.
0: Wow. So why does senior management <laughs> need to sign off on security requirements when they have no idea about the devices they're, that they're communicating?
1: Now, this this one's actually a, a great question. Um, for c executives, really aren't tech savvy. Um, most of them that I've dealt with um, wouldn't have an idea of how devices communicate. I think the C-level executive is just there to point the direction or point the business in the right direction of strategy.
0: Mm. But, I, so, but you still yeah, need them to understand the security that have, the the well, effect there, don't you? <laughs> that's exactly right. So, So it sounds to me from what you're talking about there that, uh, you know, we really need to be very vigilant. People can tend to be a little bit blasé about passwords and opening emails and things like that. If we've we've got a big team, we really need to be educating them on on the vulnerability of the organization. And of course, in in the case of small businesses, they obviously need to be aware of it all too.
1: It's hard. I mean, if you're a CEO of a small business, it's really hard to you know, run your business as well as keep up to date with threats. And you know, You're doing your own stuff. I mean, you've got bad statements. You're looking up for your accounts. You're doing yeah. your sales. It's just really hard to keep up to date. And
0: But be, you know, v- be vigilant is probably the, 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 uh, <laughs> the message right that's word. coming from you. <laughs>
1: that's exactly right.
0: Great. Well, thanks for your time, Andrew. We'll have All a chat right, with you next. again another time.
1: Thank you very much, mate.
0: Thank you. Bye-bye. 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 Time to pop over to Christina for our discussion on innovation. Good afternoon, Christina.
2: Good afternoon, Julian. How are you?
0: I'm very well, and I understand you're cold.
2: I was (laughs) cold before I'm actually, I've warmed up a bit. How good is that? It was very chilly this morning.
0: It was, wasn't it? So um, the Hunter Innovation Festival kicked off uh, last week or last Friday, and then we had a breakfast, uh, which was very interesting, on Tuesday.
2: Yes, we did that, and talking about last friday the the Hunter Hack fest was fantastic. We had six, seven teams working on some brilliant ideas and we 're actually going to um, a lot of those ideas are going forward, which is what I love about the whole innovation festival I guess is that it 's a um, a gateway for ideas to be born and then for ideas that are already born. To get out into the community, so we had some wonderful ideas born at the Hunter Hackfest. Then on Tuesday morning at the um, at the Innovation Breakfast, uh, we had some ideas that have been out there in the community um, that have been, I guess, in in people's. Heads and also on their drawing boards because it was very interesting that that our, our winner Neil Lindsay um, had a prototype already done and is looking into patents and things like that. Um, but some ideas that got that got to be aired, you know, they got they're yeah. out there in the community. The quality of the applications was fantastic to the point where the Business Centre has actually offered some mentorship to everybody that put okay. an application in, which I think is great. Um, but yeah, so the the whole idea about the idea coming from necessity, all the things that we've spoken around the innovation, um, you know, pathways. We actually saw evidence, and, and you were there, so yeah. we saw evidence of it in in the winning pitches, um, you know, concepts. And, so, ac-
0: and of course, um, the young guy that that won was uh, a very good story of uh, coming out of necessity. There,
2: yeah, I mean, the electric shock. Hello, so he receives an electric shock um, during a, a working. Uh, a working moment, if you like, um, or from his caravan, he yeah, said it was caravan. plugged his, his caravan, caravan the in, yeah. Shock. Yeah, uh, and and therefore he went. Well, how do I solve this problem? How do we make workplaces safer? How do we make anything to do with um, extension cords, leads safer? So he's come up with it, size of a fingernail. Yeah. So, and I think what I really like the most too is the people that have approached him. Um, so the Hunter Innovation Festival organisers have had emails. Uh, asking to be put in contact with him because there's a whole lot of people out there in the community um, and and in business. So when I say community, I'm talking business community as well, and manufacturing community that want to help him put this idea forward. So for me, that that's why we do the Hunter Innovation Festival. You know, it's the whole getting ideas out there, putting people, connecting people together. Um, and so we're very happy with the results.
0: Yeah, and of course uh, the, the other two were, were fantastic ideas whilst only in the idea phase it would have probably uh, got people in the audience thinking, uh, you know, this this is a great idea uh, and also the person that put it forward would have probably got more excited about uh, and more passionate about their ideas too.
2: That's correct. And so um, one of the ideas was the brain train. Mm. Uh, and how many times have people in our community sat on a train going, I've just lost Wi-Fi again. What am I, you know, how much better use of this time could we be making um, this whole trip down if we had an office kind of set up, if there were a couple of carriages set up as as offices? And I've actually seen examples of this, Julian, um, with with office spaces but also in, in different industry aspects. So when I was recently overseas, travelling from San Francisco to Palo Alto to, to Silicon Valley to, to spend the day, as, as I so excitedly did at D School, um, they've got parts of the carriage that are just set up so people can chain up their bikes, their bicycles. Because you get to Stanford Uni and everybody is riding a bicycle around Stanford University. So, again, through necessity, how many yeah. bikes can you have on a train? There's whole carriages that are set up um, just to carriage the bikes. Now, wouldn't that be a wonderful thing also to have within our city?
0: Mm. and and thinking about it there uh, over the years is the people that solve a lot of these problems in particularly in the larger organisations are the people on the shop floor that come up with the ideas and don't necessarily tell anybody you know they'll they'll add something onto a bit of machinery or they'll think of a right. way of doing something and and nobody realises a lot of those little innovative ideas that are out there
2: Yep, yeah. and isn't it? It's not unusual, is it? It's almost a do moment, a no-brainer. Where you go, the ideas come out of having empathy with your consumer. So the best innovations will come having empathy with the end user, with the consumer, with the person on the shop floor who's dealing with everybody. You know, at a at a coal face frontage. I mean, it's quite cliche, but it's very true. A lot of the brilliant ideas come from people that are using processes and they go, hey, I know how to make that a bit easier. Hey, I know how to service your needs better. I know how to please our consumer. I know how to empathize with the person on the other end of the product. Now,
0: now one of the things that came out, uh, we've talked about it too, is the importance of collaboration and oh. uh, uh Someone made the comment there that, uh, that, that ladies are, are more collaborative than men and you've got a function on this evening that focuses on female entrepreneurs.
2: Yes, it does. And, and so Women in Innovation, um, the event on at What Street Art tonight starts at 5.30. Uh, we're still taking registrations. It's a free event sponsored by the University of Newcastle. Um, is talking women in innovation and it was actually me that made that comment. I was listening to a talk <laughs> Uh, and it was about the numbers in Silicon Valley, actually, the entrepreneurs, numbers of entrepreneurs in Silicon Valley and the gender, what was a gender imbalance, is in a way correcting itself. The oh. whole way forward for business is through collaboration and they believe that the reason um, that the, the the female entrepreneur is on the rise is because they are more collaborative. It, it's innately uh, a condition that women collaborate Easier, Um, and I don't want to sound sexist saying that, but Mm -hmm. if you go back to tribal days and what we were doing, women would stay behind and collaboratively, if you like, feed the community, raise the children together, look after each other as a community, as opposed to individuals. So Mm -hmm. the men went out on the kill; they had to act as individuals a lot of the times, and and the women were back acting collaboratively, and they believe that this whole idea of collaboration um, is. Why there's a rise in female entrepreneurs in Silicon Valley in particular, and that will that will generate out into the rest of society as well, into the rest of communities.
0: We've only, well, you've only asked, got to ask us men, you know, drive a car. We, we we know where we're going. We don't need to ask anybody. We, we know what we're doing, yeah. whereas ladies will ask people, how do I get there? Oh,
2: absolutely. <laughs> and that is so me. And you know what, Julian? I will ask people how to get there, and I'll still manage to get myself lost, and I oh, don't think that's a really good won't thing Won't get into that,
0: that <laughs> yeah, And, no, don't. and, and, it, and the, the festival finishes tomorrow with the uh, Hunter uh, uh, breakfast. Um. Yes.
2: Yeah, so the Hunter Research Hunter, Foundation yep. have a breakfast in the morning, then the Hunter, um, 1804 are hosting the, and CSIRO are hosting the Innovators Lunch, um, and then I can't believe we're at the end of another Hunter Innovation Festival, uh, and, you know, there's so many people to be grateful to in the community and very much enjoying the support, um, from community and from sponsors that, that we've received. So you know, it's been very good. The feedback has been terrific. But the opportunities that have been created is the reason why the whole committee puts, it, puts the festival together.
0: Well, I look forward to talking about the female entrepreneurs next next uh, Thursday.
2: We shall do that. I'll look forward to that as well.
0: Have a great week. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Oh, we've got time for a Harvard Business Review tip here. This one, bounce back after a failed negotiation. Sometimes, despite your best efforts, a negotiation doesn't go your way. Perhaps a customer pushed for a steeper discount than you wanted to offer, or a potential client went with a competition's bid. In the face of disappointment, how do you make sure your reputation isn't damaged? First, don't panic. More often than not, there will be opportunities in the future to retry your case. And even though you didn't win on the terms you came into the table with, there may be some unexplored upside that you haven't yet considered. Great negotiators find value and benefits in unexpected places. The important next step is to be transparent with your employees and managers about why this round didn't go your way. They appreciate your honesty and help you spot missteps so you'll be more prepared the next time around. And we just got time quickly for another one there. Don't let today's goals get in the way of your future goals. Most of us want to keep moving forward at work and in life. When you ask yourself, who do I want to be and where do I want to go, chances are that the answers involve growth in some direction. But although you can't spend all your time pursuing those objectives, you definitely won't achieve your goals if you don't spend any time thinking about them. If you want to start a new company, launch a new product or lead a new group, you have to spend time planning and building the skills and experience you'll need. Here's the key. You need to spend time on these things even when there are more pressing things to do and even when there is no apparent return on your efforts. Sometimes you need to be irresponsible with your current tasks in order to make real progress on your future self. So focusing on the future can be very, very important. Thank you for being with me for the last half hour. I hope you've enjoyed the poem program. In a moment, Jane Klein will be back with your easy listening favourites. Next week, we're going to chat with Jeff Ingram from Franchising Professionals. Is franchising for you? We'll have our minute on innovation with Christina and some more business and legal news and views that might affect your business. I'd love your company again for Business, the Law and you at the same time next week. Until then, have an exciting and prosperous week and as Thomas Edison once said, If we did all the things we are capable of, we would literally astound ourselves.